it, it had kind of always been on my mind, to be honest. Like when I was three or four, I asked my parents for a fire helmet for Christmas. And oh, they there you got go. It all, it all comes back to being a kid. Yeah. And I was just like, it seemed so real, that helmet. And I just remember marveling at it. And then when I went to kindergarten, they had one there. I think mine was black and the one at kindy was red. So like me and a friend, I guess we used to pretend to be fire marshals, yeah, you know, you giving people infractions around kindy. Welcome back to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. Normally, the guests on this podcast have decades of experience and service on the job, but like I mentioned in the most recent episode, I think it's important to learn about those who are just now starting off their fire service journey and maybe learn about what has taken them down this path and their experiences so far. This is a second episode where I get to do just that. And uh, make sure you check out episode 58 for Caitlin Batten's story as well. And as it happens, both uh, Chesterfield Fire and EMS and the Henrico Division of Fire here in Central Virginia are kicking off recruit schools uh, just about the same time, uh, right around the start of the new budget season for some reason. I wonder why that is. But, uh, and I was fortunate enough uh, that Chief Loy Center from Chesterfield and Chief Jackson Baynard from Henrico are letting me sit down with a couple of their newest members to their academies and chat with their experiences and find out where they're coming from, what they're looking forward to, maybe even what they're nervous about as they start their fire service career. Today I'm joined by Benjamin Rutledge, one of the soon-to-be newest members of the Henrico Division of Fire. And uh, Ben, welcome. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for coming out today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, you know, the first more obvious question I think we'll get to is uh, a little bit about your background. But uh, your your accent is not Southern. It's not Yankee. It's not Nor- it's not Boston. It's uh, someplace different. So uh, let's dive into some a little bit about where you come from and uh, your background. So where are you from? I'm from New Zealand. Uh, I might might fit in up north towards Boston <laughs> with, with some of my words. But uh, yeah, I'm from New Zealand. Um, I fairly typical upbringing, you know, I uh, played rugby, played soccer, that sort of thing. I was into cricket growing up. Um, my dad was, uh, he's retired now. He was a like a painter and paper hanger. So a home decorator. Uh, my mother she was a, a homemaker. She was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, so we were always kind of around, you know, building sites with my dad. He was, you know, helping. Um, he was he was doing things like um, room extensions on the house. So we were in the workshop. It was a little, bit of, things. a little bit of home, home improvement contractors type. Yeah, stuff. that sort of thing. So we had experience with that, learned how to use tools early on and what they were and things like that. Yeah. Um, I was into sports. I was into cricket. I was a representative cricket player at one point. Um, what is a representative cricket player? I, I, know, I vaguely know the game of cricket, mm-hmm. but but not what maybe a representative is. Um, so, uh, so I tried out to represent the school, my middle school. Okay. And we done like an inter-school um, competition with them. Um, so that was that. Um, and I was, I was very good at running then as well. I just took to running. I would just run all the time. And, and I enjoyed that, so I was very, very fit. Yeah. And then uh, I got to high school. Actually, when I was in middle school, I was 12, 13, I discovered music, getting into music, playing in bands. Started out on the bass guitar, and, and that progressed to, to drums later on, yeah. the more I got into it. So that was kind of what kept me busy, kept me out of trouble. 
So how did you get uh, from New Zealand to the U.S.? How did, what brought you over across the across the bigger pond? I guess it, that would be across the Pacific. Yeah. Uh, so in my mid-teens, I left high school and I got a job uh, in collision repair. And that led me to working in Nelson. I was working with an English guy and his dad, It was he was from rugby in England, and his dad had a body shop over there. And I thought, well, maybe I could go over there. And, and I'd have an in for a job over there. So I started thinking, and, uh, you know, it's a big wide world and needs to be explored. So in 2011, I left to England. I never ended up making it to, to that place yeah. to, to do that. But um, I got an agency before I left, and they set me up with a job over there. I ended up in hospitality, doing bar work yeah. um, over there. My first job over there was a conference and banqueting porter. <laughs> So, so um, holding conferences and hosting and yeah, that sort of thing. So I would run the agency staff and run, you know, coordinate with the, the chefs and the dessert chefs and set up their morning tea stations and attend to their needs and set up the rooms for them and things like that. And then tear it all down afterwards. And we used to have weddings as well. So we used to host weddings and I started working on the bar there. He told me, my manager told me, Hey, uh, let's put you on the bar and I enjoyed that and uh, that led towards an interest in cocktails and mixology so I ended up getting I, over there I done a, a bar shaker bar school um, and then I got a job at a, at a craft cocktail lounge hmm. what's your favorite uh, favorite beverage to concoct um, just a dry martini I'd say there you go. something simple yeah, there something simple and effective, just like Tanqueray 10. There just you go. a nice dry martini with, with a twist. There you go. So that was all in England, in Great Britain? Yeah. yeah. So what what year did you come to the States? And did you come straight to Virginia, or did you bounce around over here? Um, so I was there in 2011, and I left there 2013, and I came straight over here. Um, so I met I met a woman... In England and it was her first time there and she was um, it was her first time there we met each other she walked into the cocktail lounge and I just my uh, immigration status was up over there and I thought well I, I don't really have anything to go back home to so come to the States and be with her so I done that middle of 2013 yeah so would you just stay in the hospitality business when you got back over here or um, no I couldn't work so we we ended up work because of the visa yeah okay yeah so we we got married um i changed my status and and i was able to work then had a green card gotcha. and then i the longer i stayed in england the more i kind of missed cars from the car industry so i got a job over here um doing restoring porsches automotive fabrication mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then I got a job building hot rods and, and doing more fabrication than restoration. So that was that was good stuff. It's kind of like modifying the existing car to make it a true hot rod and yeah. you know, souping up the engines. Yeah, roof chops, um, yeah. suspensions, um, like scratch building panels, that sort of thing. Yeah, English wheeling, all that sort of stuff. And then 2016, uh, my wife at the time, she was the breadwinner, and I thought, well... I've kind of gone as far as I could go there with that industry until I learned how to be a machinist. 
So I went to um, tech school and started learning to be a precision machinist and then that led to uh, some machining jobs. And that's, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Machine work. Yeah, yeah, CNC machining, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that brought you through the through the career path to, to when you made the decision to start exploring the fire service. What uh, what was in your mind when, when that popped in, or what uh, what triggered your thoughts about changing career paths and going to riding fire trucks and ambulances? Hmm. Um, so it, it had kind of always been on my mind, to be honest. Like when I was three or four, I asked my parents for a fire helmet for Christmas. And oh, there you go. It all, it all comes back to being a kid. Yeah, and I was just like, it seemed so real, that helmet. And I just remember marveling at it. And then when I went to kindergarten, they had one there. I think mine was black and the one at kindy was red. So like me and a friend, I guess we used to pretend to be fire marshals, yeah, you know, there you go. giving people infractions around kindy. <laughs> and then it kind of, it kind of came and went throughout my life like something would happen and I'd be like man I wish I could do that or I bet I would be good at that um I think when I was around eight we had a ladder truck at a at a school gala and the guy was up there on the ladder you know doing a show for everyone I was like whoa and then when I was kind of in my mid to late teens a young guy who worked next door to us he volunteered there was uh the town I grew up there was one station and he volunteered and whenever the it had like um, this this alarm, this siren, kind of like an air raid siren. Mm. The old uh, on the top of the top of the station, it would sound when the calls came in. Yeah, and and it would go it would go every day at midday, but it would go three times when there was a call, so that everyone and when that happened, we'd see him just like running over there because we could see the station from where we worked. Cool. Yeah, and um, so it it kind of came in and out of my life, but you know you wake up the next day and 10 years has passed and you still haven't haven't hadn't made a move towards it but um uh w- the thing that that sort of made me think okay now's the time to do it is um it didn't work out with me and the wife uh we we just grew apart and it was amic- it was an applicable split and it was I'm, i was 12,000 miles away from home so it was a difficult time for me not having anyone that I could rely on or turn to. So all your family was still in New Zealand. Yeah. They are, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I didn't really, yeah, I just didn't have anyone that I could turn to. So I had to go through all that. Um, at the time, she, she said, okay, I, um, I've sold the house. You've got till this date to leave, and I'm taking that job. She, she applied for a job in North Carolina six months before. So she was gone. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, that's really what started started me thinking about but there are some people out there that don't have a support system so I thought you know because I've experienced that I'm one of them I I would like to be that for these people I think if I can then I should and I want to so I thought the fire service is going to give me a family to be a part of some people to rely on some people that you know I can rely on them they can rely on me and and together we can you know, solve problems for the community. So that's kind of what what got me me started thinking about this. Um, and then I met Melissa, and she um, she nursed me back to sort of health. She taught me how to live in America because it yeah, my safety net was gone with my ex wife, and then with Melissa. But it, she taught me how to live here. Oh, cool through her experiences, and just kind of helped broaden my horizons. And she, 
she gave me um, one of the job listings. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I have to be a citizen. But I looked and didn't say anything about citizenship. It just said, must be legal to work here. So I had a month to go, and I tried to assess my abilities, and I, um, you know, my weaknesses, and I thought, I'm going to study and study and study. So I studied. I thought mathematics would be my biggest weakness because um, I just hadn't had to use that in my adulthood. So I studied and studied and studied. And then in that test, there was like seven math questions. <laughs> seven, And they gave me the formulas. I was like, oh, man. And, and because I learned Queen's English, not American English, they're, they're surprisingly different. That's well, a whole other language. Yeah, it surprisingly <laughs> is. And... And, and I thought, I should have studied English instead. You know? oh, so man. I was like six points. I missed out by about six points. And that, that was the first, the first time you tested it? Yeah. That was the first time, yeah. Who Was that with Chesterfield or Henrico? Or that was, was with Chesterfield, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, COVID was another driving factor towards me um, getting on this journey um, because I started sort of looking internally within and I started thinking, well, I could have been one of these people that, that didn't make it through. And what sort of legacy am I going to leave if, if I didn't? Um, I'm going to leave a half-built race car, and that's it. Like, what have, what have I done to contribute to a greater good? I hadn't done anything up to that point. So that was really the time where I thought, yep, now is the time. Now is the time. And that's when Melissa sent me that, you know, that job. Yeah, cool. Well, that's that. about the time we, we met up, because uh, Melissa's a – friend in common and she said hey i've got a friend of mine that wants to talk about joining the fire service can you talk with him and we had i think lunch one day and talked for an hour and a half or two hours and mm -hmm. i'll give you my thoughts on it which may or may not have been a contributed contributing factor but you're you went on and uh, tested chesterfield and henrico and henrico was the lucky one that uh, picked <laughs> you up first so uh while, while i'm a bit biased coming from chesterfield myself i, I will say henrico is a fine organization and uh oh yeah, sure yeah. it's going to do you well I mean, they're all, they're all fantastic, fantastic, you know, departments, all of them. And, and just even, like, the mutual aid between them. Right. It's just any any department you become a member of, I, I think, would be, you know, an honor. So you, you mentioned your thought coming into this process that uh, mathematics was your weakness. You found out, you know, maybe English it is this, the non-Queen's English is the challenge. <laughs> uh what from a standpoint, because I mean, the, the physical agility test is out there too, what, what in that, uh, did that give you any problem? Were you worried about it coming into it? You know, obviously looking, looking fit and playing rugby, which is like football and soccer and hockey all combined without the pads. <laughs> uh, your your, your, your uh, sports background, I'm sure, gave you a good fitness um, base to work from. Is there anything in that that kind of gave you a, a, a challenge or you um, thought was harder than normal? Um. It just made me start looking at myself and thinking. See, I knew that I had the physical stuff fairly down because I've been into bodybuilding in the gym for a few years. So I just started looking at what are my weaknesses in other areas. So I thought, okay, well, English. Is, so I, I went to community college and done an English class. That's great. That gets that taken care of. I'd done a math class as well. Um, so, you know, coming into the academy, I thought we're going to have to do some mathematics. It's just something that just... It hasn't been part of my adult life. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
those are two of the things that I focused on. Um, I had the the website, the department website. It had all these recommended books that you read on like listening skills, interpersonal skills, on um, emotional intelligence and things like that. So I bought all those books and read all those books, and um, done the English thing, done the math thing. I went to my trainer. I have a trainer, a nutritionist, and I went to him and said, "This is what I'm doing." let's focus towards this goal and he gave me um the plans to not only work on aesthetics which i was which was the bodybuilding thing yeah yeah but like to have it functional as well so i i really can't speak enough to having about having a trainer there to help you and guide you um so i done that and one of the things that i thought i knew was going to be difficult from from the gym stuff was was the um the step mill part of the cpat so, you know, 70, 75 pounds weight vest for, for three minutes at, at, you know, a step a second. So, do they still do it? Because um, when CPAT first came out, it was like a 75 pound weight vest for like 12 minutes or something. Then they add another 15 or 30 pounds for the last two or three minutes. Is that still part of it? Or is it just that 75 pound vest for the whole duration of the step test? The, the 75 pounds for three minutes. Three minutes, and that's it. Yeah, and then you step off and they take you know 20 pounds off your shoulder and then you carry on okay. so i knew that was going to be the hardest thing so i immediately started that i bought myself a weight vest and i i started when i when i got to a point where i could do 15 minutes with with no weight vest i put 20 pounds on that and then i'd adjust over the month when i could get to 15 minutes i put 20 more on and, and and so on and i got to the point where i had my 75 pounds on and i was holding like a 45 plate in each hand doing it yeah, you're not going to have a problem with step today. <laughs> that was, yeah. that was a challenge. challenge. Yeah, that was. And that was a challenge. And so I, I knew I'd have no problem with that. But during the mentoring sessions, the thing that got me was the dummy drag. Because hmm. it, it, it was just a core workout like, like nothing else. And, and um, th- there were a couple of techniques. One of them was... If, if you you lift you grab the the shoulders and you lift it off the ground and you have a little bit you know the least amount of surface here dragging along the floor you can it'll be easier but I, I started thinking well this is very taxing because my brachialis is in my arms it required a lot of a lot of work there yeah. you get the advantage of less drag less friction on the ground but now you got the exertion to hold the dummy up a little higher yeah. exactly and and its shoulders kept hitting my thighs mm. and and I thought well, I mean if this is a person so uh, what I done then is I, I kind of set up a, a mock CPAC course in the gym. So I had the cables and I, and I just lift the cables up from the ground up just to sort of give my mm. breakouts a good workout so I could hold it. And then um, the CPAC mentoring sessions, they, they were amazing. But if, if you're going through this journey, you have to, you have to take advantage of those. Um, so one of the guys there showed me this, this perfect technique to grab it and and it involved like leaning forward grabbing the shoulders and just dragging it and you kind of using your um your lats not so much an arm workout as a more of a back and shoulders yeah yeah more back and shoulders and um it, it was kind of killer on your thighs but you're already working your thighs out so and and it was just easier to swing it around um the barrel at the end of that course as well and so with the CPATs, because i figured out that that was difficult I would go there and that's all I would do. I would focus on that. I'd just drag the dummy, drag the dummy, drag the dummy till I couldn't anymore. And I'd drag the dummy again once I'd rested. 
Um, I built myself a, a trolley with my fabrication skills at home. <laughs> and Handy. And, yeah. It Handy had some plates. It had um, wheels and it kind of simulated a person sitting up. So I dragged that up the driveway and down with my weight vest on. Heck, you might be onto a money-making deal there and having as a CPAT trainer. Yeah, I mean, Simulator, yeah. I, I, I looked for some, some like, dummies on Facebook Marketplace or whatever. But I <laughs> There's just, a lot of dummies on Facebook, but not necessarily <laughs> in the Marketplace. Either. Yeah, I just used my trolley for that. So um, I, I can't say enough about the mentoring sessions. I booked every single mentoring session I could, and I was there for the entire time because, I mean, I'm going on this journey. Why would I not want to hang around with firefighters as much as I could? And, and just the help you get out of them. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you're right too. Some, sometimes people will say, well, what's a, what's a piece of advice you get for, for people in recruit school? And that, that is to ask questions as much as you can. Cause I don't, I don't think anybody, whether it's a, a trainer that's coming in from the stations for the day or the training center staff or the administration, once you get to that point in there, they want to see you succeed. They don't want anybody to fail. So it's that, you know, if you think there's a question or you're having a hard time grasping a task, it's, hey, tell me more about this or I need another repetition at this evolution or, or work with it. Because I, I don't know anybody that wants wants anybody to fail once they get to that position and once they get into school. So Yeah, I mean, they're there to help you. Yeah. They're there. And I was that guy that was that was there asking the questions. Each time I'd, I'd get to know them more and I'd ask them the questions. It was like I was interviewing them and they just parked up and they would, take their time and answer every single question you had that would make sure that you know you understood everything it, it was really really great yeah so what um yeah, yeah it, we're sitting here kind of the last week of june when do, you've already gone through all the processes and the, the interviews and the physicals and you've got the the job offer when do you actually get to start in the academy the first date's the 31st of july so you got about a month to get there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so what are you looking forward to the most or or worried about the most either on you know the positive and the negative you think is a, that you're going to be starting this off with the the thing i'm looking forward to most is just i think to see um how my physical preparation stacks up to the standard like i've done all this preparation i want i just i'm just looking forward to see is, is it working how fit am i going to be you know how how well am i going to handle that um i'm i'm not really nervous or afraid about anything because like you said they're there to make sure we succeed so i know that if if i have if i'm deficient in an area they're going to help me and i'm going to you know ask for that that mentoring so i just i'm just looking forward to really seeing if i've got you know what it takes physically physically yeah i, I think you won't have a problem hey, have you done any kind of work like this in the past so we when we first met i think you were doing that machinist work um and you were you know what can you do to prepare? Have you done anything other than the, the physical and the, the reading list uh, that they've given you? you? You mentioned, I think, earlier ride-alongs. What was your experience in doing ride-alongs like? Uh, I'd, I'd done a ride-along, and it was, ah, uh, man. Yeah, Henrika have a ride-along program. Where did, where, what station were you at? Where, what, I was in, was in uh, B-Shift, Station 22, yeah. and that was an amazing experience. Like, you knock on the door, and as soon as they open that door, it's like your old friends. Oh, hey, come on in. Hey, welcome. Go have a seat. There's this coffee over there. Um, we'll just get everything sorted with a shift changeover. We'll be with you shortly. It was amazing. Cool. Yeah. Did you get to run anything call-wise, or were you on the medic or the uh, engine? I was on the engine. Um, I I didn't go any on the medic calls because I didn't want to miss any of the engine <laughs> stuff. 
Um, but yeah, I was on the engine, and um, it was it was an interesting experience. Yeah, we had some calls. We had we had a few calls to go on. Cool. The first call, you know, a gentleman wanted a Coca Cola. That was it. <laughs> and he ended up uh, calling nine one one to get it. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's some interesting 911 calls out there. You know, McDonald's fries not hot enough or too hot or something like that. I think it was one of them I heard one day. But, uh. So did did, um, did that that obviously that didn't do anything to sway you from uh, making the decision to go with the fire service? Um, did was there ever a doubt in your mind when you went there, or were you just doing it to kind of get the more the feel of the of the culture of that organization? Yeah, probably more to get the feel the feel of that culture. I mean, if you want to be a firefighter. Um, you got to cast a wide far far net, you know, investigate each department, find out what each department does, what their capabilities are and things like that, and just see which which one is a fit for you. I, I just felt really at home and myself with the guys in Hunraiko. I just, I could be myself. Okay. So And, and so it, it, it was an amazing experience, yeah. And um, with my collision repair experience as well, I, I was there and I sat in while they were giving the new guy on the ladder truck a training. And he was showing them all the, um, like the porter powers and the hydraulic jacks and this is what this does and this is, you know, when you use it. And I thought, well, this is stuff that I deal with on a daily basis in fabrication. So I, I'm kind of already aware of the capabilities of, of this equipment. So, so it's not, it wouldn't be completely foreign to you to to go to an extrication class or extrication call class and be able to use those tools what what else in your background do you think has prepared you other than the physical stuff you did through sports um is there anything else that you did in in working on race cars working in the hospitality industry that kind of gave you some skill sets to get to this point um well working in collision repair it kind of it gives me it helps you you learn how to use tools you learn the capabilities of the tools. You learn how to improvise if you don't have the correct tools. Um, it, it's kind. Of, it's kind of an investigative nature towards it, towards that in fabrication. The way my mind works is I'm looking at a collision and I'm seeing how did that happen. There's, you know, there's a chain of events and figuring out how that happened. Um, it, it kind of shows me my first steps to take in in fixing it. Kind of you're reverse engineering it almost like it. yeah that sort of thing and because you have i have an understanding of cars and and how they go together and things that could help me with some knowledge like you say in the class the extrication class of knowing a little bit more background information of how to do and what to do and where so you're not injuring a person even further when you bring them out um so you learn an eye for detail as well like to focus on the little details and focus on that little detail now because it's, it's going to save you a lot more time than having to redo it, that sort of thing. Um, in the bar industry, people skills, a lot of people skills, because it's a customer service job and it's a problem-solving job, um, and, and that was the whole point of me leaving New Zealand was to experience the world. So in the bar industry, you get to meet all walks of life you get to deal with um, conflict resolution with intoxicated people, stuff you, like that. You'll never see that on the f- ambulance or the fire. No, wait a minute. You might see that on the ambulance <laughs> or the fire truck occasionally. Yeah, you, um, you you deal with that. You learn team leadership skills, management skills, and things like that, dealing with your staff. Um, you learn a lot of lot of time management skills because if, you're, if you've got a certain amount of hours to do something, you learn the most efficient way to do that in that time. 
you learn organization skills. So like everything's organized and there and ready for you when you need it. So you're not searching for something. Um, you learn how to take things apart. You get like an intuitive nature on, on taking things apart and you get um, knowledge on preventive maintenance. You, uh, you're in CNC machining, you're using a machine doesn't belong to you and it's expensive and a lot can go wrong with that. So you learn about maintaining that, fixing things, fixing anything. Um, you learn perseverance and things like that as well. Um, you, you learn people skills dealing with, you know, you might have a challenging coworker or a boss to deal with, which is where emotional intelligence comes in mm -hmm. as well. Critical thinking, you kind of learn, hey, if I cut that here and I'm standing here, it's going to be messy, it might fling that way, just through experience. Um, all these things that you can learn which, which might help you solving problems for the community. Cool. Well, uh, what what do you think you would ask? Um, you know, if you got a chance to, you know, you obviously you said in Henrico they don't do a formal chiefs interview. And I think Chesterfield's the same way. You interview with a panel or a group, and then the recommendations go up the food chain. What what do you think a question you might ask the fire chief if you get the chance to to sit down with him for coffee in the first week or so? What do you think a question you might ask him? I would probably ask. I would probably ask him what sort of challenges he sees the future for for the department and and the you know mm -hmm. because I think um, hand skills and and mechanical aptitude might be a thing that's starting to disappear in life. I I don't say that it's anyone's fault. It's just that. Um, life is becoming more automated so you don't have to do things like keeping your car running yourself just, anymore you just got to update the app on your phone and you should be good to go right yeah that sort of thing so like challenges that they might see facing um, towards that um, uh, maybe I might ask them a little bit about the public view of public safety like what what's what's the public view of the public safety organizations nowadays and <clears throat> cool. maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll get him on between now and the time you graduate and ask him those for you we'll see if you don't get a ch if you don't get a chance to chat with him and see what they say because I you know, I've got my ideas but I've been out of the out of the direct line of fire for the business for a couple of years and things may be changing but uh, I think I think you're spot on with that mechanical aptitude of it because when I came on there were a lot of people who were mechanics automotive mechanics heavy equipment operators you know, mechanics on an industrial line who could you know something breaks in the fire station and it's going to get fixed before you take it to the maintenance shop so mm. I think you're right that's uh that that skill set isn't as prevalent as it used to be so and, and it helps you if, if someone's got an you know someone their cooker's gone out or their heater's gone out and it's very very cold it's winter it's it's just going to be a skill set that sort of helps you fix that problem for them and then help them fix it see how they can move on later on cool well, I'll, uh, usually I ask um, the kind of the last question to wrap this up is uh, I ask people, what, what advice would you give somebody who's starting in the job today? But uh, you are that person starting in the job. So I'll ask it this way is that you've been through the processes for a couple of different departments. You, you've obviously now been successful in, in getting ready to start in a few weeks in Henrico. What advice would you give to somebody who is 
this idea has just popped into their head. Hey, I, th- I think I'm interested in joining the fire service. What 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 advice would you give them in, in the, the the months to come for for them to be successful to get on the job like you you did? I would say get physically fit, get as physically fit as possible. I hope that what listeners got out of me today is constantly reevaluate yourself, reevaluate your strengths and weaknesses, and constantly work on those weaknesses and build them up. Um, I would say if one of those weaknesses is your mechanical aptitude, do something like go to a community college, um, learn anything, HVAC, plumbing, machining, electrical, anything like that, and, and you'll learn a lot of those skills, you'll, skills, you'll learn how to use the tools and how to work with your hands. Even do an apprenticeship in that industry if, if you wish. Um, I think I would probably personally... I focused more on my skills with my hands than the EMT stuff because you learn the EMT stuff through the academy anyway. So I would focus on working with your hands and you've got to know yourself. You've got to know yourself inside and out and you've got to do some soul searching and find out whether or not this is the right place for you and, and the right direction you want to go in. And you've got to be sincere. Yep. Be honest. I think in sincerity and honesty, I think go hand in hand. So, mm. uh, well, great. Well, first off, congratulations on uh, getting in the best job in the world. Uh, I still believe that, even though I'm not there anymore. I, I know fire chiefs that say that routinely to recruit academy graduates. Welcome to the best job in the world, and I still believe that's the case. So, uh, I do want to get back with you uh, maybe after recruit school's over. Get uh, get your kind of take on the experience over that time. When, when you would graduate, did they have they given you a graduation date yet? Oh, I haven't had the yeah. date yet. Yeah. So uh, we'll get back together. I'm sure between now and then, and set something up for maybe a month or so in, after you've been in the station, and say, okay, what 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 in recruit school were you not prepared for? What what surprised you? And um, what what do you think was the best part of recruit school to get you ready for that first month in the station? And uh, we'll go from there. Great. All right, well, Ben Rutledge, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. I appreciate you uh, for coming out, and um, I just want to remind everybody: if you got any questions or comments for me or for the podcast, you can e- email me at firehouselogbook at gmail.com. and make sure you follow along on Twitter and Instagram. The Twitter handle is FD Logbook, and Instagram is FD Logbook Podcast. And we've also got a Facebook page where. Uh, we post up updates and episodes, and for those of you who uh, who are part of the Patreon community, I appreciate you being part of that. Patreon.com backslash Firehouse Logbook Podcast is the website there. You can go in and support. Get early access to some of these episodes and maybe even some uh, some extended versions, uh, particularly the extended version of the retirees from Chesterfield I had on earlier this year. That was uh, quite the interesting episode. So uh, once again, thanks, Ben. Appreciate you coming in. Anything, any last words or comments? <laughs> I'm just excited to, to, to start doing this job. All right, go get them, man. Good luck. Thank you.